It reminds me of a, a story of many years ago when meditation started becoming popular uh, in the monastery in the very northeast of Thailand where I trained. There was a, a man came to ask our teacher about what meditation was. And he was a professor from a Swedish university. And he was actually sent by the government in order to prevent, uh, present a very uh, even report from all the different teachers of meditation in, in Asia. He had four questions he was asking each teacher. And the four questions were, uh, what is meditation? And uh, how do you meditate? Why do you meditate? And what do you get out of meditation? Those are the four questions. And our teacher got a piece of paper and wrote out these four answers and gave them to one of the monks to translate to this Swedish professor. And after this monk had stopped laughing then he <laughs> and collected himself, then he read out the answers. And the answer to the first question, what is meditation? He said, my, my venerable teacher says that the answer to this question, what is meditation? is what is eating. And he's answer your question, why do you meditate? Why do you eat? <laughs> How do you meditate? How do you eat? And what do you get out of meditation? What do you get out of eating? The professor objected, saying he can't take that back to his government. <laughs> and the teacher said, that's all we're getting. <laughs> They're very good answers, aren't they? Because if you look a little bit deeper into those answers. Now what is meditation? What is eating? Why do you meditate? Why do you eat? How? What do you get out of it? How do you eat? What do you get out of eating? One eats in order to get health of the body. One eats or one meditates in order to get health of the mind. And how do you meditate? Same as how do you eat? It's a natural process. If you turn the mind in the right direction, you will have the ability just to get peaceful. Why do you eat? Or rather, what do you get out of eating? You get this health, this uh, fitness, the ability to use the body for the purposes which you deem necessary in your life. And this is the result of eating, the result of meditating. If you meditate, you can use the, the, the mind the purposes which you feel appropriate in life. And so this is the how, the why, and the result of meditation, similar to the result of eating. In these modern days, we have a concept which we call junk food. There's junk food for the body and there's also <laughs> junk food for the mind. And you can understand what some of that junk food for the mind is. Whatever makes the mind unhealthy, unhappy, it uh, takes away the peace from the, the mind. It brings stress to the mind. That's what we call junk food. And it's also like health food for the mind. And meditation is one of those health foods for the mind. It keeps the mind peaceful, bright and fit, able to be used for whatever purpose you feel is appropriate. Especially, I want you to talk today about some of the other methods of meditation. And one of the methods of meditation which is most useful is what we call like insight meditation. Uh, 
so far I've been talking about meditation as a way of calming the mind and getting into peaceful and happy states, relieving some stress. But this way of meditation is also um, learning or uh, training the mind to become clear and penetrating so that you can actually start to understand some things about yourself and about your world and where you stand in it. This is the way of what we call insight meditation. In the monasteries in Thailand where I trained as a monk, this was in the jungles. And in these uh, jungles, the way that we would move around the monastery was to create paths through these jungles and keep them well swept. If you didn't keep them well swept, you'd be liable to tread on snakes and scorpions and centipedes. And so it was part of the monastery routine every day to sweep the paths. And when one swept the path through the jungle, the floor of the jungle was a very fine white sand. And once the path had been swept, you had these beautiful, almost luminous ribbons winding through the jungle. And after sweeping a section of the path, sure enough, a leaf would fall behind you, right onto the clean path. And you'd look back, and that would stand out, and you'd want to sweep it up to make it perfect. But the point was, and this was mentioned as a simile by some many very famous monks, when a leaf falls on a cleared path, you see it very distinctly. You see its features, you see its shape and its colour, it stands out. But when a leaf falls amongst hundreds and thousands of others on the jungle floor, you hardly notice it at all. This is a simile for the arising of what we call insight in the mind. If there's many, many things happening in your mind and the leaf falls amongst thousands, then you cannot understand or see it very clearly. If you sweep your path and make the mind very still, peaceful, empty, then when something arises in that cleared path, it stands out, you see it clearly, you understand it very well. This is the way of insight, of understanding the things of the mind and the things of the world. It's as if there's too many things happening to be able to understand clearly. The confusion of life is what stops us being wise. And I hope that many of you now will understand enough about meditation to see that this is clearing the mind, emptying it out of um, unnecessary things. I've mentioned in each of these four talks is emptying it out of the past and the future. Those two suitcases which I've been talking about, the past and the future, letting both of those down letting unnecessary business alone. So you're not concerned with every, anything outside of the present moment. Not concerned with anything outside your body and mind. You're clearing away a lot of distraction, a lot of unnecessary business. You're sweeping that path. And you find when you learn how to sweep that path, when leaves come and leaves go onto that path, you see them clearly. This is the way in which we develop insight and understanding. This insight and understanding is not just about profound philosophical truth. It's also about the day-to-day -day things. 
sometimes that we uh, are concerned with relationships with others. And why is it that such relationships can be sometimes troublesome? Why is it that relationships break down? A lot of times because there isn't enough of this calm awareness of what the other person is saying. So often when we talk about communication, we think only of words. But everyone would know that communication takes place on so many levels. Both body language and even smells. Even the nuances of speech, the way we say things to one another. To be able to pick all of that up, you have to have a very calm mind. To be alert, to be, have like a path which is well swept, so even the smallest and subtlest of leaves can be picked up. A person who develops this type of meditation is developing a very sensitive mind. It's as if that you have a radio and you're tuning out all of the other stations and so that you can just tune, a very fine tuner to pick up what you want and you haven't got this background noise, this static which drowns out these very, very fine signals from another. Because the way we are Quite often we never actually say what we mean to say. Quite often we're afraid to say exactly what we mean. So often we just speak in hints and suggestions, hoping that the other person will pick up the true meaning of what we wish to convey. And that's why so often that we do rely on nuance and body language, hoping the other person will read between the lines. If they, are, if they are going to, as I say, read between the lines, you need this sensitivity, this calmness, this peace inside the mind so you can pick up and know what the other person is saying. More like you can feel what the other person is saying, not just listening to the, the superficial words, but to look a little bit deeper. Again, to look a little bit deeper, you need this quiet and peaceful mind. To take on this, to take further this example of looking further and deeper in the way of insight meditation, we have a, a simile which I've often used here. It's like to hold up a glass. What's this called? What is it? Everyone says glass. Look again. Look further. Look deeper. When you are looking at an object, you give it a name. When you give it a name, you think you know it all, and then you turn to something else. There was a, uh, I've heard this story recently, there was uh, a professor at Harvard University at the turn of the century, who was a very famous uh, professor at that time, and he was uh, seeking some students to help him with some research. He gave them a test to see whether they were appropriate to be students of his. He gave them a fish and asked them what it was. And when they said it's a fish, he said, look even further. Carry on looking. And he made his students look at this fish for over 10 or 12 hours and then told them to come back the following morning and carry on just looking at a fish. All of the things which they thought they knew about a fish, they reeled off very quickly. And then they started to see things which they never thought were there. For five days, one of these uh, students, this professor, just kept on looking at this same old fish. <laughs> and after five days, 
about 10 or 12 hours every day, he said that he still hadn't finished with understanding the fish. This is what one of the problems is with really understanding things. We look just on the surface and we never go any deep, any deeper. We look upon this, this glass for water. It's you know, cylindrical. Look deeper and deeper and deeper and then you see much more of what actually is in there. It's like a child. You may have noticed a child just looking at a blade of glass and spending hours just looking at the same blade of glass. Why are they doing that? What are they seeing? They're seeing much deeper than just green or glass or just a blade. They're seeing it because the way of insight is to look and keep looking and keep looking and keep looking. The longer you look, the deeper you see. That this is a way, what we call, of insight meditation. The usual mind only sees surface things. But if we really wish to understand things, we have to look much, much deeper. You will find that when you have a quiet mind, when you do the ordinary practice of calm meditation, the mind becomes more alert, more awake. It actually sees much more. It doesn't just see the surface, but it sees in greater depth. Have you ever noticed how beautiful concrete is? People often think that concrete is unnatural. It's not a, a source of beauty. But I remember in a monastery in Thailand doing a lot of meditation. And part of that meditation was doing walking meditation, as I described last week. Walking backwards and forwards with putting your attention on your feet and keeping your gaze maybe one or two meters in front of you. As the mind became quite peaceful and quiet, just looking at the same piece of concrete again and again, you started to notice some of the shapes and the colors and textures in that concrete. The more I looked, the more I saw. The more I saw, the more I realized how beautiful was a piece of concrete. Insight is like this. You start to see deeper and more profoundly in what you're seeing. And you find out just how often our senses are just so superficial. We give things a name and we think we know. We pass on to something else. And we really, very rarely truly know something. Whether that's a piece of concrete, whether that's a person we live with, or whether that's ourselves, Very rarely do we know it. And so this insight meditation, by making the mind peaceful, by making it still, we develop the ability to sustain our attention on whatever we choose. And when we sustain our attention on whatever we choose, we find we get to know it and understand it more deeply. We're not, we haven't got a mind which just flits backwards and forwards. We have a mind which can stay and penetrate and see what truly is there. So this is a way of insight meditation. It is something we can try at the end of a meditation. When our mind is reasonably peaceful, we can take just any object and just investigate it and see what's truly there. I say investigating, I mean just allowing the mind just to sustain its attention on whatever you're looking at. 
and to push aside these superficial labels, whatever they may be, glass, clear, receptacle for water, and keep looking deeper, but sustain your attention until the thing reveals itself to you. In Buddhism we have this beautiful simile of a lotus, which rises up above the water, and when the sun comes out, the lotus leaves open, one by one by one by one. The lotus has many leaves, and as the sun maintains its warmth upon this flower, the leaves open up until eventually the heart within the lotus is revealed. In the same way, whatever you're looking at is like the lotus. So the warmth of that attention, leaf after leaf, opens up until eventually it reveals its heart. There are many leaves which you have to allow to open up until you see the depth of things. So this is a way of insight meditation. And that is why meditation in many traditions has always been the way to what we call wisdom. And what is wisdom is just insight, seeing within, seeing how you work, seeing what's there. The way of meditation, of calming the mind, can certainly relieve stress and can relieve some problems, but very often the, the calm meditation is only a very temporary release from the, the difficulties of life. But the insight which can arise, the understanding of what you're doing and who you are and how you work, is something which is more permanent, which is truly seeing what the problem is. Like uh, an example which, uh, which I may give uh, is the, the simile of a brick wall. This is a simile which I give often in this uh, centre here. When I first started building the monastery in Serpentine, we had to do much of the building work ourselves. And part of that building work was learning how to lay bricks. As I laid bricks, at first it was very difficult, and the bricks never went in the right place. They were always uh, not level and skewed. And I had to take them off, scrape off the mortar and start again. But as I got more proficient in laying bricks, they seemed all right, they seemed okay. I let the mortar dry. And at the end of the day, when I uh, stood back and looked at the work I'd done, sure enough, one found that there was two bricks which were wrong. Instead of being level, they were at quite, a, quite a, an angle. And of course, whenever you do anything wrong, you want to hide it, or mend it, destroy it, or whatever. If I had a bulldozer, I would have pushed over that wall so I could start again. But those bricks were there and I couldn't do nothing about it. When visitors came to the monastery, I used to take them somewhere else. We were hoping for donations, and they'd seen how we used their donations. <laughs> they may not have been too happy. And also I was embarrassed about my brick wall until one day somebody came and they saw that brick wall and they said, what a beautiful brick wall that was. And I said, come off it. Can't you see those two bad bricks? And the person who I was talking with said, yes, I can see those two bad bricks. But I can also see the 998 other bricks which are fine. And to me, I'd never seen those other good bricks. All I'd ever seen when I passed that brick wall 
were the two bad bricks. This is an example of insight because that way of looking was not just on a brick wall. That way of looking was often how I saw myself or how I saw others or how I saw my day. Just two bad bricks in my day and what a terrible day. I wanted to bulldoze it over, to destroy it. Why? Because of two bad bricks. And I never could see the other bricks in the wall that made up my day. Another person I disliked had two bad bricks and I could never see the other bricks which were in their wall, so to speak. Insight is seeing more clearly, seeing the whole, rather than seeing just the superficial, the things of a person or on life. When you understand that similar to the brick wall, you find that any time you dislike something about yourself or another, so often it's just seeing just two bad bricks and not realizing there's other bricks in that wall. This is a result of, an example of the result of what we call insight. It gives one another way of looking at things, a more true, fuller way of understanding what's there. One can also use that insight into the feelings in your body. Because many of us have a very difficult time, especially as we get old, dealing with things like sickness and pain. The insight can be used, understanding this thing which we call pain. What is it and how do we deal with it? Very often that there is two types or two levels of the, of the thing which we call pain the physical and the mental, the actual physical feeling in the body and the way we react to it. I'll tell another story now about insight which will indicate what I mean by the physical and the mental. It's the story of the demon which came in to the emperor's palace. This terrible demon came into this king's palace at a time when the king was away on some business. The demon was ugly and smelly and offensive. And the people in the palace, the guards and the ministers, were so taken aback by the entrance of this demon, they froze just long enough for the demon to go right into the room and sit on the king's throne. But as soon as the demon had sat on the king's throne, the guards and the ministers started telling the demon to get out. You don't belong in here. Get out. Who told you to come in here? And at those unkind words, the demon grew an inch bigger. And strange as it was, it grew just a little bit more ugly. And the smell coming off it got a little bit worse. And his language got even more offensive. That made the ministers and the guards even more upset. And they jumped up and down, threatening this demon. If you don't get out soon, you'll be in big trouble. But every unkind word or unkind deed, the demon just grew an inch bigger, more smelly more ugly and more offensive. This had been going on a long time before the king came back to the palace. And by this time, the demon was huge, taking up half of the throne room. And is so ugly and smelly, and the language was worse than you'd hear in Northbridge on a, on a Saturday night. <laughs> Terrible stuff coming out from this demon. But the reason this fellow was the king of this heavenly realm was that he was wise. And he summed up and knew the situation straight away. Instead of saying, get out, the king said, welcome. 
He said to the demon, why have you waited so long to visit me in here? And he ordered his servants to go and see what the demon wants. And just at that one kind word and thought or deed, the demon grew one inch smaller. He got a little less ugly, his language improved, and the smell coming off him abated somewhat. And at that the ministers and the guards started rushing around. Someone got him some sandwiches, someone asked him if he wanted tea or coffee, and what type of tea? Or grey or darjeeling or herbal, we've got peppermint and chamomile, what do you want? Someone gave him a foot massage, some a shoulder massage, someone asked him if he wanted a fan, some asked him if he wanted a heater. And of every kind act, kind word, kind deed, the demon grew an inch smaller, less ugly, less offensive. And as the people saw this, they really laid it on as thickly as they could, trying to be kind and helpful to this demon. And in a very short time, the demon was the original size when it first came in. They never stopped there. They kept on being so kind and caring that eventually that demon vanished completely away. And the Buddha told that story and he said that's called an anger-eating demon. It eats anger and gets bigger and worse and more smelly and more offensive. There are many anger-eating demons in this world. If you give them anger, they get worse and worse. If you give them acceptance, they tend to fade away and disappear completely. Then pain in the body is like an anger-eating demon. If you've got a pain, whether it's a toothache or a recurrent pain in the body, if you give it anger, saying, get out of here, you don't belong, what happens to it? It gets an inch bigger, more ugly, more offensive, and the language coming out of your mind sometimes gets worse. Get out of here, you don't belong. So even that pain in the body, when one practices insight meditation, one can see that it can be an anger-eating demon. Instead of trying to get rid of it, instead of saying, get out of here, you don't belong, you can try something else. You can try saying, welcome. I, you can live in here with me. When one does this with something like physical pain, you'll find that that physical pain will change its nature. The physical part will be there, but the mental part, the reaction to it, will disappear. And that pain will just be just an empty feeling. You might think this is theory, but I'm talking about insight meditation, to see this for oneself, by making the mind peaceful and giving it a try. And that way you will find the secret to overcome some pain, because much of life is unpleasant. Much of life is pain. And there are some pains which arise in this world. Not all pains are anger-eating demons, but there are some pains which arise in this world which no medicine can cure. And there's no way, no place you can run away from these. And these can be overcome through this practicing of insight and through saying to those inner demons, welcome, you can stay in here as well. So this is some of the results of practicing insight meditation. You're seeing things not in the normal way, not in the way you've been taught or the way, way you expect, but you're seeing things for yourself as they truly are, going deeper than your usual ideas, 
going further than what you were taught by seeing these things as they truly are. So inside meditation is when you mind is quite calm and peaceful. You take an object with its physical pain and you observe it. You watch it without trying to get rid of it. If I watch a glass and try and get rid of it, I don't see it anymore. You have to sustain the awareness there to keep observing without trying to get rid of it, without what we call desire or aversion. And just watch and watch until you understand what these things are. If we don't understand what pain and pleasure is, if we don't understand what our body and what life really is, what, what use is our life? We may live for many years, but are we truly wise? And if we're not wise, why is that so? Wisdom is the result of seeing clearly. Wisdom is not the result of being taught. Wisdom is seeing these things for yourself. And this meditation is equipping you to see these things for yourself by practicing insight, seeing within. At the end of the meditation, whether it's pain in the body, whether it's a blade of grass, whether it's contemplating the nature of your mind, look at these things, stay with them until, like the lotus, they reveal their heart. And that is called the insight meditation. I wanted to go on to a couple of other meditations which uh, we uh, wish to uh, um, describe today. Another meditation which is very similar to insight meditation is what I call letting be meditation. The letting be meditation is similar to the meditation which one does to pain, similar to the meditation which one would describe the way one gets rid of these anger-eating demons. The letting be meditation is just saying to whatever you're experiencing, just that much, let it be. Let it be means neither trying to get rid of it nor trying to keep it there, but just leaving it alone. Let it be, let it be. Let it be meditation is what I sometimes call the lazy person's meditation. Are you lazy? Do you know really how to be lazy? Can you really sit and really do nothing? Quite often it's a very difficult thing just to do nothing. A lot of people call watching the telly or reading a book doing nothing, but that's still doing something. Okay, so you sit in your chair. Can you do nothing? No, you keep thinking about this, that and the other. Doing nothing means literally doing nothing, just sitting there not even thinking of anything. And that's really being lazy, isn't it? This is really letting be. Letting be is not reacting to whatever you're experiencing. Leaving it alone, neither saying welcome nor get out. When one does letting be meditation, one finds the mind very quickly gets peaceful because it is cutting at the very core of that which makes for agitation. It's when we say, let's change this, let's get something else, that we bring business to the mind and make it work. Again, this is the lazy person's meditation. So we don't even make the mind work. Whatever you're experiencing now, leave it alone. Let it be. Let it be. Let it be. The way that I encourage people to do letting be meditation is to use what we call like a mantra. A mantra is just like a group of words. One says to oneself inside again and again, 
Let it be. Let it be. Let it be. But after the word has been said to yourself in your mind, you listen very carefully just once that instruction has finished. Because words are like signposts. They point to something over there. And as you listen to letting be, it points to what that word really means. The actual experience of letting be. I'll say it again. But this time, listen very carefully at the very end, after the sound is finished. Let it be. Can you see the mind being pointed in that direction, of leaving things alone? The, the idea of mantras is by saying, or putting the signpost in front of your mind again and again, to keep encouraging the mind to look over there, to look what we really mean by the word letting be until you experience letting be for yourself. Once you experience the meaning of the word, you do not need to repeat it anymore to yourself. You have letting be there, right in front of your mind. You know you're letting be when the mind isn't struggling. Whatever you're experiencing, it's just that, and you're not trying to get rid of it. Letting be is just like sitting here and someone comes in this room who's very beautiful and attractive, I don't try to keep them, they can go out whenever they wish. Or someone comes in here who's so ugly and offensive and says some terrible words right in my face. Let it be means letting them do that. Eventually they get bored and go away. Letting be means leaving things alone. After a while, everything goes quiet and the mind becomes peaceful. Very often, if you find it difficult doing the breath meditation, I'll advise trying letting be meditation. Whatever you're experiencing in the present moment, say to it, let it be. You can stay in here as long as you like. Let it be, let it be. And the mind soon becomes peaceful. The third type of meditation carries on from letting be meditation. It's a meditation on love on loving-kindness. What do we really mean by loving-kindness? It is a very powerful way of letting things be. If you love someone, you don't try and change them. You don't try to make them different than they really are. To love is to accept the other person as they are. My father once told me when I was a young teenager, he said, no matter what you do in your life, the door of my house will always be open to you. His house wasn't very much, it was like a council flat in London, <laughs> but it still meant a lot to me that he could say such a thing. Because I realized very early that when he said the door of his house was open to me, he didn't just mean the door of a London flat, he also meant the door of his heart. What was most important was, no matter what you do, he was allowing me to do anything in my life, saying that no matter how I turned out, I would always have his love. The door of my heart is always open to you, no matter what you do. If I became a failure, if I became bankrupt, if I became a criminal, even if I became a monk, he would still <laughs> give his love to me. And that became, for me, a very good expression of what we mean by, like, love. 
not a love which says, I will love you if you live up to my expectations, if you do this, if you do that, if you give something back to me, such as I love you if you love me. No, I love you no matter what you do. Now this is what we call the attitude which we develop in the loving-kindness meditation. To be able to say to another person or to oneself, the door to my heart is open to you. We start with a person or a thing in loving-kindness meditation. Quite often that people find the ability to love unconditionally in this way quite difficult. So in the loving-kindness meditation which I teach here, you start again, having done some quiet breath meditation, you start closing your eyes and imagining some, usually some small animal, or maybe a baby, or you use a kitten or a puppy or maybe a, a young baby, imagining it there in front of your, your body, alone, uncared for, abandoned and vulnerable and then developing these feelings of loving-kindness towards this being. No matter how smelly, how cold, how whatever you are, the door of my heart is open to you, no matter what you are. And giving it that warmth and that acceptance. As one does it to a small being, just like, say, with a slide projector, you change the image to somebody else. Once you start to develop the feeling of loving-kindness, the warmth inside of the heart. You develop that feeling and then spread it to these different objects. Cultivating the feeling of loving-kindness right in your heart. Then you can start to think about all these other beings in your life. First of all, the ones who are very easy to spread loving-kindness towards. The person you live with, your friends, your parents. Building up this loving-kindness meditation is like building a fire. When you build a fire, you don't start with the, the big, wet, sappy logs. You start with paper and kindling first. Those materials which are easy to ignite, which take the fire. And once the kindling is alight, you put on bigger sticks and then bigger sticks. And when the fire is ablaze, then you can throw on the big, wet, sappy locks. When you develop the feeling of loving-kindness towards the easy objects, first of all, kittens and puppies, babies, your best friends, then you can start to develop the feeling of loving-kindness even towards your enemies. And then even go further and then develop it towards oneself. <laughs> Quite often that's the hardest to develop loving-kindness towards. I'll give you a, an indication of this. Uh, even though I'm running a little bit out of time, this is a very good story. There was seven monks doing this loving-kindness meditation in a cave. The seven monks were the head monk, his brother, his best friend was monk number three. The fourth was his enemy. They'd been enemies, the family had been enemies for many, many generations. The fifth monk was a very old monk, so old he could die at any time. The next monk, the sixth monk, was very ill, and no one could really guess who would die first. Both were on the edge between life and death. And the last monk, the seventh monk, was the useless monk. 
who couldn't teach, couldn't meditate, couldn't do any of the chanting, but he was there as a monk, and they were tolerating him as best they could. So those were the seven monks meditating in this cave. The head monk, the brother, the best friend, the enemy, the old monk, the sick monk, and lastly, <laughs> the useless monk. And one day some bandits came into this forest, they found this cave and thought what a wonderful hideout this would be for their gang. But if the monks were left alive, then they would surely tell the authorities where the bandits' cave was. So the bandits wanted to kill every one of the monks. The head monk was a good talker and managed to convince the chief of the bandits to let all of them go except one. The one would be killed as a warning to the rest not to let the secret of their cave be known to the authorities. And that's the best the head monk could do. And the head monk had the choice who should be killed so the rest could go free. Remember in this cave were the seven monks. The head monk, the brother, the best friend, and his enemy. The old monk who could die any time. The sick monk who would even die earlier than the old monk. And last of all, the useless monk who was no use for anything anyway. Which was chosen to die? Any idea? <laughs> No. <laughs> it was not himself. Remember the idea of loving kindness. The door of my heart is open to you no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. That's also to you. Why is it that the most common answer to that riddle is always he sacrificed himself? The answer to that riddle was that the monk could see no difference between himself and his enemy, his brother and his best friend, an old monk, a sick monk, or a useless monk. His love was the same, exactly the same to himself as to all the others, so much so that he couldn't decide. The end of that story was that the bandits were so impressed that they... <laughs> They not only let them all go, they all became monks themselves. <laughs> but anyhow, you understand what we mean by loving kindness. It has to go to oneself as well to others. So this loving kindness meditation, it starts with something easy and eventually ends towards oneself. The door of my heart becomes open to me. This is called letting be. This is called insight. This is called peace. So all these different types of meditation are leading roughly to the same place. And doing loving-kindness meditation, eventually we develop this feeling, this attitude of warmth and acceptance, of letting be, being at peace with oneself, embracing oneself. This feeling of the door of my heart is open to me and this care. So, uh, it's only a short meditation today, and that short meditation is going to be this loving-kindness meditation. So, before we begin, if you are getting a bit uh, stiff, you can get up and just stretch the limbs a little bit, and then when we sit down, I'm going to lead you in the loving-kindness meditation. So, if, uh, once you're ready, we can sit down in your meditation position, however that is. 
Okay, we usually start by doing a little uh, bit of breath meditation. So just close your eyes. With the eyes closed, first of all, check the position of your body to make sure you're comfortable. And instead of looking at your body, just feel the sensations in the body. And if there's anything which needs to be moved, adjusted, now's the time to do it. So the body is well set up for the meditation. Then bring the mindfulness, the awareness into the present moment. This is meditation time. There's been a suitcase in the left hand filled with the past, a suitcase in the right hand filled with anticipations and plans for the future. Put both of those suitcases down and leave them alone for the duration of the meditation. And put all the attention into the present moment. Only concerned with what you're experiencing now. What are you conscious of in this very moment? And follow that flow of consciousness. As you become aware of the flow of consciousness inside of you from moment to moment, you then become aware of the experience and the commentary. Let go of that commentary, that description you give to yourself and stay more with the experience, the experience of now. And turn that awareness onto the breathing. Not forcing the breath, leaving the breath alone, but just watching it, observing it, as if from a distance. Just one breath at a time. as if you were sitting on a, a beach and watching the waves come in and go away not trying to make the waves come faster or taller in the same way one sits in the mind and watches the breath coming in and going out just like waves on the beach Feeling more of the mind with the experience of breath. Not being concerned with anything else whatsoever. Any other sounds or feelings or concerns other than the breath 
are on the edge of your mind and the breath takes the centre. Let it be, let it be, not trying to change anything, not giving orders in the mind to do this or do that. Start some loving kindness meditation. Imagine in your mind a puppy, a young kitten, or a baby. Whichever imaginary object you find is easiest to give feelings of warmth and protection towards. And when you arouse that image of a puppy or kitten or baby, imagine that right before you, alone, vulnerable, subject to pain and cold and hunger and the attacks of many other creatures in this very harsh and competitive world. Imagine that small being is alone, without protection, except maybe for you. Imagine the eyes of that being staring into yours. Big eyes, afraid, but with hope. Hope that somehow it can arouse your love. The feelings of warmth and protection towards something who would die, who would die in cold, in rejection and pain without your help. Imagine yourself smiling at that small kitten or puppy or baby and having that smile returned in that small being's eyes. Imagine yourself saying, I care. I will protect you from pain, from hurt, from hunger. I will do whatever I can to look after you and protect you in this world. I wish you well. May you always be happy and free of pain. Imagine arms coming out from your body and bringing that being close to your chest, just above where your heart is, and cuddling that being, 
so it does not feel rejection that its body feels your warmth your body feels its warmth the door of my heart is open to you without criticism, without judgment I will love you no matter what and bring that creature even closer right into your heart the being which needs you and you need it as you're developing this meditation saying such words as these to yourself also notice the feeling of love the physical feeling which is generated around the chest the feeling in the mind of warmth of emotional, irrational care towards another may you be happy and well may you be free of all suffering I wish you well instead of that puppy or kitten or baby imagine someone who you love very much someone you're very close to and imagine a picture of them in front of your mind they too need your love they too are subject to pain and rejection to the hunger in this world they too need your love and warmth and that being who you're already very close to in your mind say to them the door of my heart is also open to you I love you come in imagine yourself with arms coming out from your body embracing this person bringing them closer to your warmth as if there's a white light in your heart spreading out and embracing this being the light of love of warmth to them may you be happy may you be well I care enough to spend a lot of my time looking after your happiness instead of that person think of somebody else another friend or family member and to them too spread this warmth of love and acceptance they too need the warmth from your heart a baby needs to be cuddled in the first few hours of its life otherwise it dies so do human beings at all stages of their life bring this imaginary being close to your heart see its eyes in your eyes may you be happy and well if the feeling of love starts to fade as you're going through the images of other people 
Go back to that first object, the puppy, the kitten, baby, until the feeling of warmth, kindness, love is very strong. If the fire goes out, put on more kindling. And then, without opening your eyes, imagine all the people in this room, all the people just like you, who need love to survive, who are vulnerable to pain, to disappointment, to anguish. Even though they may not show it, they feel it just like you. And put your arms as if extending right around this room, embracing everyone herein, saying to everyone sitting in this room, I wish you well. May your pain be relieved. May your disappointment vanish. I care in this moment. The door of my heart is open to you as well. And as if there is a light coming from your heart spreading out to all the people in this room, bathing them with your energy, them bathing you with theirs. The emotional warmth of pure loving kindness, which asks nothing back in return. Imagine those arms spreading out over the whole of Perth. The people in the hospitals awaiting operations in pain, in despair. The people in arguments in the home, the people living out on the streets. All people in Perth in this moment, as if one can embrace them and say, I care. I wish you well, not harm. May you be happy and well. And the arms spreading even wider to embrace the whole planet, the whole universe, the whole cosmos. May all beings be happy and well. May they be free, free from oppression and pain. Think of those beings and think of the flame in your heart, this great force of loving kindness, sustaining the attention on the meaning of love. Door of my heart always open to you. You're developing this sustained attention on this mind state of love. Instead of the whole universe, put you in front of your mind. You, like your best friend, like that puppy, kitten or dog, you too need love and care and affection. You too deserve forgiveness for maybe two bad bricks in the wall. To be able to say to yourself, the door of my heart is open 
to me. Come in. And imagine embracing yourself. No matter what you've done, no matter what you might do, there is always a time to allow yourself in. And give yourself that warmth, that care, that time to be at one with yourself. May I be happy. May I be well. May I stop may I, may I stop harming myself with harsh judgments and even punishments. Whatever I've done is past and gone. The door of my heart is open now, no matter what I've done. And allow oneself to dwell in that warmth. The healing warmth of unconditioned love. meditation now. How do you feel? That meditation on loving kindness can be done using your own words. But hopefully the words which I've suggested today can give you a, an idea of how the loving kindness meditation is done. Starting on what is easy then building up to what is hard. And there comes a time when the loving-kindness is so strong that no matter who it is in front of you, you can just blast them with, with forgiveness. <laughs> and it's a very powerful meditation. You'll find that people who have loving-kindness meditation, that no one can harm you. There's once here that when we first got this center, we had an opening ceremony we invited the then governor of WA, Sir Gordon Reed. I was the person who was responsible for ordering the, the chairs and the tables, the marquee and all of the things. But wouldn't you know when the, the chairs arrived, we had eight chairs for the VIPs, not only Sir Gordon Reed and his wife, but a few politicians as well. Not one of those chairs had legs the same length. They all wobbled. And the other chairs were really dirty, as if they'd come from some outback show and I'd gone to great lengths to ask the higher company to please get the best chairs we didn't mind paying extra because this was an important occasion for us but when these terrible chairs came on a Friday afternoon I had to ring up the office of the higher company fortunately I just got the person just before they left to knock off for the weekend 
I explained we had the Governor W.A. coming. Please, can we do something about these chairs? She said, no trouble, it must be some mistake. About 45 minutes later, the truck came up the drive outside. Before it got halfway up this, this drive, when it was still going, uh, still moving along, one of the workmen jumped out. His fist was clenched and he was swearing terribly. Where's the bloke in charge, he was saying. I want the bloke in charge. <laughs> They'd been called out from the pub. They'd already knocked off. And they had to deliver these chairs to these blooming Buddhists. <laughs> he ran up towards me as I said, I'm the bloke in charge. And he put his fist in front of my nose and, and breathed alcohol into my face. But that's all he could do. He could do no more. Because instead of getting fear or angry or trying to explain myself, I just gave him loving kindness. It's amazing how you can disarm somebody just with loving kindness. If it comes from the heart, not from the head, but from the heart. There was an interesting experience that there was other monks there and other people from the Buddhist society, but no one came to my help. <laughs> <laughs> but fortunately I didn't need any help because the fellow was stuck there. He had his fist in front of me, but he couldn't do anything else. And one of his friends, the mates, when the truck stopped, just put his hand on the shoulder, come on. And we all gave them a hand. And the truck was unloaded in no time, and everyone left quite at peace. But loving kindness is very powerful to stop aggression. Even animals respect loving kindness. In Tibet, before the communists took over that country, the rabbits, for example, used to run towards the people, not away from them. They had no fear. So loving kindness is a marvelous way to develop the mind, to allow oneself in and to allow others in as well. The door of my heart is always open to you. Please come in. It's a meditation, something we develop. And if you develop these meditations of either peaceful meditation, insight meditation, giving wisdom, or loving kindness, then you would reap some great results. Especially loving kindness meditation. Sometimes we think we know what love means, but we don't really. We think it, we don't feel it. This is feeling developing the mind state within. It's both very beautiful and blissful as one dwells in love and it's also very useful in this world which is sometimes so uncaring and especially it's important to develop to oneself. Allow yourself in as well. As even in the Christian Bible it says to love your neighbour as yourself. So how about loving yourself as your neighbour? So, has anyone got any questions about the meditations I've briefly talked on this afternoon? <laughs> we 
Are you blissed out or something? <laughs> I just mentioned that peace is something which you develop. You can't just will in the moment. It's something which you learn how to make inside of yourself. Wisdom is something which you learn to develop. You learn to make by sustaining the awareness on whatever you choose. And love is something which you make, you develop for yourself. It doesn't happen naturally. It's something you develop. So if you really want to be a loving person, develop your mind. And then you will know what my teacher Ajahn Chah said. That what is meditation? What is food? Why do you eat? Why do you meditate? How? And what do you get out of eating? You get fitness and health. What do you get out of meditating? You get fitness and health of mind. The happiness of the heart. So I will leave that with you. And uh, if you have any more questions, you can come up afterwards to ask them. But before I go, there's a, a few announcements I'd like to make. This is the, the last, the fourth of this series, which we advertise, of Introduction to Meditation. Uh, there is an ongoing meditation here every Saturday afternoon uh, for both beginners and for those who are continuing uh, with the meditation. The continuing uh, course, or are the, are the regular meditators, we usually sit for 40 minutes uh, on a Saturday afternoon, but at the same time there's another class uh, here in this centre where we just sit for maybe 15 or 20 minutes. So you may come to either one of those at the same time here on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, and we invite you to, if you haven't been into the reception area and the library which is in the room over there, uh, you are most welcome to have a look in there and on the notice board which uh, shows some of our activities in our Buddhist centre. Uh, we've got a note here that if you have trouble sitting on the floor for long periods of time, you may see many people using these stools, which are very comfortable to sit on. You can sit on these for long periods. Uh, the way you sit on these, I didn't explain this before, so I'll just show you now. That just kneeling on the ground, you place them behind you. over both legs and then you put your bottom down on the stool and that takes all the weight away from your knees as the back is supported and it's very comfortable indeed to sit in this way and these meditation stools are very easy to make you can see they're just three pieces of wood you can adjust the height to suit you know your preferences and uh, you can adjust the angle some people have them upholstered and make them very very soft and nice you can reinforce them if you're overweight. <laughs> it's really up to you. <laughs> but uh, these are very easy to make. We do have a few on sale in the, um, the library over there if you wish to inquire about them. These are meditation um, stools and the cushions which many of you have used over here. These are the black or blue or red things which are stuffed with a special uh, material. Uh, if you wish for one of those, there's also some which we keep over there uh, on sale in the uh, centre over there. 
And the last thing that in about a month's time, if you are very keen in meditation and you find it reasonably easy to sit for reasonably long lengths of time, every so often we hold a meditation retreat. And that retreat is for one whole weekend, where we do many hours of meditation on sessions of about 45 minutes, one after the other, with spaces of walking meditation in between and keeping silence for the whole weekend. And uh, if not now, at least later on, if you really wish to develop the meditation, I encourage you to come to one of these meditation weekend retreats, because it's a time when one does uh, meditation one after the other, and one builds up the momentum of peace and silence, or like love. And at the end of the retreat, one goes back home very happy and contented. And as I said the other day, last week, about that story of the other man who always wanted to go on the retreat and his wife would never, wanted, never would let him go. But when she did let him go, he came back such a, a beautiful husband that she always paid for him to go on the next retreats. So that uh, they're very useful, if not for you, for the people you live with. <laughs> so the information about them is also on the notice board in the, the room, the reception room opposite. And thank you for coming, if you're interested in coming again next Saturday and uh, also enjoying some of the other facilities here, again you're most welcome. If you have any other questions you'd like to ask, then please come up afterwards. Thank you for coming. <laughs>